Man, so good to worship with you guys this morning. And um, uh, just so encouraged. I love Emily's testimony. And um, man, that is just, hey, you can never start too early. And uh, we probably could have all used a little fasting growing up. Uh, we'd probably be healthier for it. Um, but just so thankful and just want to reiterate that, that man, we want to place a higher value on kids. And um, uh, I'll, I'm going to share a little bit about that this, this morning, but uh, it's, it, it matters. It matters in our day and age. It's always mattered, but it really matters right now um, that the church family rallies around children and says, hey, we're going to speak truth and love and identity over them. If you're expecting the world to do it, you're a fool. Um, that's the church's role. The world's going to do everything but that. <laughs> but God's given us, not just parents, but the family of God, um, to speak that truth and that love and identity over them. Well, <clears throat> um, we kicked off this series last week, and um, I think I told you that every week we're going to be reading this passage out of Isaiah 61, which really is a theme passage for this series called Whole, and I want to put it up on the screen here, Isaiah 61, and I want you to read it with me today, all right? So here we go. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isn't that good? I mean, if you just woke up and said to your little iPhone there, Siri, read Isaiah 61, one through three of me when my alarm goes off, you'll feel better. I mean, just, you know, you're just like, wow, because that is who God is not just calling us to be. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is what he came to do. And that passage is about Jesus Christ. That is, he, that is who he, that is his mission, his assignment. And then when Jesus left and he ascended into heaven and he gave that assignment to his disciples who then spread the gospel, who then planted churches, who then moved it around the world. And here we are today. That same call is on us today. That same call is on every person that claims to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are now wrapped in to that Isaiah 61 calling. And in so many ways, it is an identity calling, right? It's, man, we are to be oaks of righteousness. I share with you guys that John Lowe, who spoke a world mandate, shared this, this, this picture he had for our church, which was we were an orchard of oak trees, which is a bit uncommon because usually you think of fruit trees, right? And so this orchard of oak trees that God was really planting and he was, he was really pruning and nourishing so that we would grow to be strong so that there is a place of safety, a place of refuge, not just for us, but for others. That people can go and nest and rest and find that shade that they so desperately need with an oak tree. So that's who we're called to be, guys. We're called to be these oaks of righteousness. Not just oaks, but oaks of righteousness. But in order to do that, we've gotta be whole. 
I don't know if you guys, you know, I'm not an arborist, if that's the right way to say it, but I'm pretty sure you can look at a tree and be like, ooh, that tree's sick, right? You can see that moss stuff that grows starts killing it, or you see some sort of weird thing happening, formation, you're like, that looks like a sick tree. It's still a tree, but looks a little sick. And so then a professional arborist is gonna go in and kind of tell you, hey, this is what we gotta do, the root system, or we gotta, we gotta chop this limb off, or we need to treat it with this, or it's got this too high of sodium or whatever content in the water, whatever's happening, but they're gonna go and try to tend to it to get it to, to live, right? To get it to be healthy again so it continues to grow strong. In so many ways, that's what we're doing in this series. We're trying to get to a place of wholeness. Not that at the end of this series, just by coming here on a Sunday morning, you're like, hey, I'm whole, right? Like, no, no, no. Um, it's just like going to A&M and getting a degree in whatever you're getting it in. Just because you get that diploma does not mean you actually know what you're doing. Any, any like uh, people who hire people out there, you're like, oh, you're an engineering guy. Oh, you're a, but you don't know what you're doing, right? Because you need that real world work experience, right? I would rather take someone with no degree, but actually has experience because they've actually proven it than someone who just has the degree, right? So just saying, like proof of the pudding. So, you know, so for us as people, we want to get whole, but it's not just through listening to teachings or just reading your Bible, or being in a discipleship, or showing up to a life crew. Wholeness takes work. It does. It takes work. It is actually effort. So I'm just going to say again, if you want to get whole, which I want you to, because I want us to be this orchard of oak trees, oh, for the display of God's splendor, for the glory, I mean, that, that's what I want. We got to get whole, which means you got to do work. You can't sit back, right? This is not, this is not streaming, you can't just stream wholeness. Oh, I watched that, so therefore I am. No. You gotta put the work in, right? And some of that work is not fun, right? And whoever told you, hey, what, that you should have a job someday that's just fun, they're a liar. Because all jobs have ups and downs, just like all marriages. I love my wife, but you know, it's not all peachy all the time. It's not some Disney princess film. You know, it's just, it's reality. We've got great days and we've got not great days, right? I'm a pastor. I'm not going to say bad. I'm just going to say not great, <laughs> right? But I love her. I'm committed to her working it through so that our relationship is whole. How much more should we be committed to God because he's way more invested than we are? Remember that. He's way more invested in your wholeness than you ever will be or any other human on this earth, including parents, including spouses, including your best friends. He wants you more whole than any human does. And he's made a way for you to get there. He's created a pathway. And that pathway is in the form of a person, Jesus. Jesus Christ is your path to wholeness. That's why this Isaiah 61 passage is so key for us understanding how we can become these oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor, not our own. Now today we're gonna to talk about <clears throat> unforgiveness, your favorite topic. So we're gonna go there today, and my hope is in about 30 minutes from now that we are gonna be willing to do a little bit of work to remove the unforgiveness and to move into forgiveness. 
We've got to move out of that to move into the good stuff. Now, um, I just want to say something on the front end here. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, I do have parents, and they're here today, which is great. <clears throat> um, uh, my mom and dad, they live in Austin, and I just want to honor them for a second, because I'm about to share just a little bit of my story. But, um, you know, in life, people come and go. You guys know that. Friends come and go. Coworkers come and go. Roommates come and go. Um, but, but really, but God's plan A intention is that family doesn't come and go. But I know in this room, that's not everyone's experience. Not everybody in this room is going to be seeing mom and dad at Thanksgiving. Not everybody in this room is going to see their siblings at Christmas. Not everybody in this room is on talking terms with their family, and that's sad. And that's because there's brokenness and there's sin. That's not God's plan, but that's where we're at. So then we say, God, how can you redeem the situation even in the midst of it not being ideal? But I also want to place value on my parents and say that in an age of um, divorce and an age of parents being estranged from their own children, my parents have been faithful to each other and been faithful to me, my brother, and my sister and their 14 grandkids. And that's rare. And they would even tell you in their friendship circles with people even back in Austin and at the church, it is rare for adult children to continue to have a relationship with their parents to where it's real. And so I just want to honor you guys for being faithful and being real. And I just want to encourage you guys too that whatever family you're coming from, you don't have to continue the brokenness. You can start a place of blessing. But if you do inherit blessing, it's a little easier for you to keep it going. But use that to your advantage. And then help others that are coming from brokenness say, hey, how can we help you get a fresh start with your family as a blessing? Does it make sense? There, there are, there's not really any valid excuses in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus Christ says, I can come and raise the dead, I can come and redeem your brokenness, and I can do this, I can do, there's nothing he can't touch or heal. Just so you know, when it comes to your heart surrendered, he can touch it all, heal it all. Right? It, you can't control the people, but if you're surrendered to him, he can touch it, he can heal it. And that's part of what today's about. Now listen, in sixth grade, um, I was... I thought I was cool. I don't know if I was. I thought I was. Thanks. Thank you. I thought I was cool in sixth grade. Um, and, you know, in sixth grade at our middle school, I um, started to like a girl in sixth grade. Now, mind you, in fifth grade, a girl said she wanted to kiss me at recess, and I ran. Literally ran. I don't know what happened between fifth and sixth. Fifth, it was like cooties. You know, sixth grade is like, Hey, okay, so sixth grade rolls around. I like this girl, I, and so, you know, I'm kind of like running around this little cool crowd, and um, I tell like one of the guys, one of my friends, you know, and um, so I told him, this is sixth grade, you know, I'm like 12 years old, and by the end of the week, it's like half the school knew, right? <laughs> now, perspective not a big deal, right? Sixth grade, massive. For a kid that 
wasn't real outgoing, for a kid that kind of kept himself some. I didn't really tell many people things. I already had a small circle of trust. I entrusted that to some joker kid in sixth grade who then tells half the school. And then what happens? That happens. I then shut down, close off from those kids, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. My parents can attest, I pretty much was friendless. I totally cut myself off from that group. Um, my mom had to really pray with me just to allow, God, would you bring a friend into Tyler's life and open my heart back up? I had to have a guy, a youth leader, help mentor me. His name's Craig Robinson. He mentored me through those years and really discipled me for the first time. I wouldn't have called it that, but that's what he was doing. But for four years, that single little event, looking back, it's laughable, but I'm like, wow, that's what took me down a path of critical, bitter, untrusting, People are really not your friends. They're always gonna betray you. And as a little sixth grade boy, that's the identity that I took on. So then walls are up. Nobody's getting in except my little family. And that's how I lived. And I got to my sophomore year of high school and I was still part of the church youth group and starting to branch out a little bit more. But it just, I on the inside, I was bitter. I was critical. I was frustrating. I didn't say it all the time, but that's what I was feeling. And it wasn't until my junior year of high school, or right going into my junior year in the summer, that I had this kind of radical experience with God, where I literally got in my truck, I drove to this place, I look over this, this lake in Austin, I'm just by myself, it's like a Sunday evening, and I'm just crying to God, God, I don't like the way I feel. What, what happened? Like, where did this start? God, I don't like this. I have a loving family. I don't. Uh, what is, what's going on? And the Lord said to me, Tyler, if you will start blessing people again and stop cursing them, I will bless you. Amen. Now, that's the first time I would say that I quasi audibly heard the voice of God. Quasi, because I'm not even sure. I just know that it was God. And you know, when you hear from God, you're like, oh, no, 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 that's him. There's the devil. We talked about him last week. Just kind of do this. To, just flick him off, Right? But then when God shows up, you're like, that's God. I don't know if I can explain it to you, but that's him. And so in that moment, I came home and I was like, all right, Lord, I trust you. I don't trust anybody else. I trust you. So I started my junior high school and I started over. I reintroduced myself to dozens of people at the same school I'd already been going to. Be like, hey, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, man, I, I was in class with you. Yeah, I know you already. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? I started being a blessing. I started in my thoughts and in my words. So I changed, and, and my life changed, and God brought blessing to my life and friendships and plentiful. But man, I had those four years that were like dark, and it's because somebody betrayed my trust. Now, for some, you aren't affected by that as much. For someone like me, who is a very tight circle of trust, that's like everything. You break that, it's like over. There's no like, oh, I was, I'm sorry I said that. Yeah, and it's over. Like, that's the kind of person I am. I don't know, you can blame God. That's just the way it is, okay? So for me, when we talk about kids and our upbringing, I just wanna pause and say, the majority of people's pain is zero to 18. So I want you to take a moment, real quick, 
I want you to think. Back to one painful experience from as a kid, middle school, high school, you had one. One experience that led you maybe to harbor some bitterness, some pain, some unforgiveness. Now, you may have already dealt with it, or you may have dealt with it partially. I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to think, all right, Lord, what happened? And I say that because zero to 18, those are the years that the enemy wants to get you. He wants to close you off before you get a chance to really fully develop. And if he can shut you down early, then you're not a threat later. For me, that's what happened. And granted, I look back and I allowed that to happen, right? It wasn't, in the end, I shared something, it got shared, and I allowed that to take a root of bitterness. When what I should have done, and my little self should have figured out a way to, all right, I need to forgive them and move on. But I didn't, I didn't have that maturity. I didn't do that. I didn't want to let go of that. It actually wasn't until years later, like in college, when I finally like remembered that memory and realized, okay, and really released that person and, and forgave them, you know? But years later, right, after damage had been done, we grew up in this world and go from a kid to then these elementary days and you get into middle school and high school and, you know, you start out kind of innocent, but then really... In so many ways, the world comes at you and you experience death and brokenness. You go to your first funeral. You go, um, you have your first thing like that in sixth grade where trust is really broken or someone hurts you or something more severe happens in your life and you start all of a sudden realizing, like some of my kids are right now, like, wow, not everybody's nice out there, you know? And you're like, yeah. And, and even for me as a parent recently, it's like, there's like this drop in my heart. I'm just like, oh. it's like, here comes the world. It's like my kids are experiencing the brokenness in an increased measure. Why? Oh, I just want to rewind. Uh, can we just, oh, can you just, oh. but that's where we live in. That ain't changing, by the way. The sin of mankind is here and whether we like it or not and the devil is prowling like a you know lion he's waiting at the door he's crouching he's getting in and so we've got to be a people to say okay we know we live in a broken world so we're gonna do about it we're gonna sit there and say woe is me and we say hey hold on a second God has a plan he's got a plan for the broken he's got a plan for the betrayal. He's got a plan for the pain. He's got a plan for it, and he's got a way out so that we don't have to live with that for the rest of our days. You see, unforgiveness, um, it can cause these responses of fear, of rejection, of so much pain. No matter how it comes, the situation, the event, the circumstances, the words spoken to you, whatever happened to you, it can really damage you and in such a way to where, you know, um, where you feel like almost my thoughts are like contaminated with like this bitterness and with this offended perspective or with this, in my case, with a critical spirit, 
right? But I, I, I wasn't like that in second grade. I was a happy-go-lucky little kid, just, you know, happy. Cupcake, cake, cookie, veggie sticks, that's, that's fine. It's food, I'm good. I'm not, you know, I just happy. And then things happen, and you're like, oh, this world, and it crushes you. And, and, but, but God knows that, and Jesus lived that and walked that out so that then we can figure out a way to get out of that and still live in this broken world, but not to have to live by its standards and by its brokenness. Right? We don't have to subscribe to that. We can subscribe to the gospel and the freedom. And you know, unforgiveness, I, I love what Nelson Mandela said. If you don't know, he was the, the president of South Africa. He got in prison for many years during the whole apartheid deal. And I went to Cape Town, South Africa a few years ago with our, our ADS class. And you know, it's so much better now. But man, you get to walk in a country like that that experienced decades of this brokenness and uh, this whites versus blacks and all this, it's just, it's, it's, it's tragic. And Nelson Mandela, he gets released from prison. He becomes the, the prime minister, the president of South Africa, and he begins to restore relationships. And for many people, it was like, hey, this is our time to get back of the whites because they have absolutely oppressed us. And you know what? On record, they had every right to just go and lash out. <clears throat> And he led this charge of saying, that's not how we're going to pull the country back. So many people were like in his ear, we got to get him. And he's like, no. He drew the line. I mean, if you don't know about him, incredible man. And he said this, he said, hating someone is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. Hating someone is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. You see, unforgiveness, it creates a domino effect that impacts every part of us. Unforgiveness, it begins to impair your judgment and perspective on things, your view of the world. Sadly, what it can do is pain becomes the identity of the unforgiving person. Recently, I was in a, a meeting with some folks and... Um, we were uh, praying over this person, and um, as we got done, uh, someone had stopped, and they said, hey, I just want to share this with you. They said, um, when I was with you last, when I was just spending time with you, um, what I noticed is that you were leaking pain, like leaking it, like I could tell you were wearing the pain of things that had happened to you. And it was just leaking out of your body. And I heard that and I was like, wow. What like a great word picture for what we can be like. You know when someone is wounded. You know it. And it's just shoulders down. It's the way that they're sharing it. I've been like that. And I heard that and I was like, man, Lord, I don't want to leak pain. And they weren't saying it to me, they were saying it to someone else, but I took it as like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be like that. I wanna be around my kids where I'm just, all the pain and stuff where I've had to deal with, I don't want that just dumped on them. Do you know what I mean? And so, Lord, what do we do? We, we've got to find a place to forgive and embrace that. <clears throat> but you know, I also know that dealing with unforgiveness in our hearts, it can make, make us feel stuck. It can make us feel dry, you know? And, Sometimes we can feel like nobody understands, right? That's like a classic 
lie of the devil that he puts in our heads and is out there is no one gets it. No one understands what you've gone through. You know, there's like 7.5 or nearly 8 billion people on the planet currently. It's been billions before us. I'm pretty sure other people have gone through the same thing. And I always like to say to myself, someone has it worse and someone has it better. I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Like in everything, right? No matter if I think I'm terrible at something or good at something or something is hard, it's like, no, no, someone else has it a lot worse. Someone else has it a lot better. You know what that does? That tries to keep me like humble and stable, right? <clears throat> like, because if we go to an extreme, I'm the only person, right? Or you know one ever, that's extreme. And extreme thoughts lead you to extreme things. We can't be like that. We gotta stay on the straight and narrow. And even if you don't know somebody, personally here, walking around planet Earth, there is someone that's experienced more than all of us combined. Isaiah 53, I just wanna read this passage to us. <clears throat> the entire chapter here, it says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is written by the prophet Isaiah nearly 750 years before Jesus Christ came on planet Earth. Okay, so this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah and what he would endure. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. He was held and, and was held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. Verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers and silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
You see, Jesus came and he endured pain. He endured death. He endured mockery, scorn. Yet he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. Unlike us, we've done wrong, right? I know you've stolen that Skittle when you shouldn't have, right? I know you got out of bed when mom told you not to. I know you complained about the food that was green on your plate. You may have cheated on a test. You may have embezzled money from a business. You may have done much more horrible things. But the truth is, sin is sin. And Jesus didn't do any of it, which is why he could take all of it, all of ours on himself. But you see, Jesus didn't go through all that just to do it. He went through it because why? For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Not only did he bear our sins, he's interceding on our behalf. You know, I love to think about Jesus sometimes as like that number one fan right there in the stands who's literally just pumping his fist every time you get out there. Kickoff team, if it's football, if you're at the plate, if you're, even if you're riding the bench, he's like, that's my boy. Woo! There's this one guy at my kid's school. I don't even know his name. Um, he's a dad, but I know what he looks like. And I know what he sounds like. Because every year at our kids' school, we'll have like this, this big first assembly to kick off the year. We also have the talent show and a couple other things, okay? So we all gather in this big room. All the parents, grandparents are there. And they'll like say a kid's name for something or whatever. And there's usually, you know, a little clap or you wait till the whole class is done or right, that kind of stuff. Even when instructed, hey, we're gonna wait for all the kids to get their names announced, then we'll clap. This dad, I am not kidding. And if you go to my kids, you can attest to it. He stands up, like, woo, yeah! Just like that. Like everyone else is all like dressed nice. He's just, bang a boy! That kid, the rest of his life, it is seared in his DNA. My dad is proud of me. How many of us need to hear that? You need to hear it from your daddy. You may not hear it from your earthly daddy, but there is a father in heaven who's saying, that's my boy. Do you know I sent my only son to go suffer in this world, this very broken world that you live in right now? The pain, the abuse, the score. He had every right to be bitter, every right to be all, I mean, but he didn't. I sent my only begotten son and I sent him to his death and he suffered so that you wouldn't have to. Do you know that is the gospel? He sent him so you don't have to go and be crucified. That is Christ. He's not our buddy. He's our savior. He is our Lord and he is all powerful. And he is saying to you this morning, no matter what deficiencies you feel like you have or what pain has come to you or what betrayal has been in your life that is real or what abuse, he said, I came for it all, not some, all. Anything that could ever happen to you that would cause you to be bitter, have unforgiveness, he can heal it. If you don't believe that, you don't know the full Jesus. You know partial Jesus, 20% Jesus. 
but he's the real deal. He is the real deal. And I wish I could just stand here and tell you stories of the most extreme cases of people that have engaged in the most extreme atrocities on planet Earth. And now some of them, by a radical encounter with Christ, repented, changed their ways, and you would have thought this guy was just this great guy his whole life. The complete turnaround because of Christ. Not because he just willed it through. There is a transformation that can happen because he created us in his image. And he knows to get to our soul and to get to our mind, will, emotion, the whole thing, if he gets to it, he can redeem us and we are like new creation. Next Sunday, Baptism Sunday, it is not, we will not baptize someone and say, way to go, good job, you got baptized. Next, it's not how we do it here. It's a little crazy. You'll probably get wet. It's wild. Because what we want to say is, the old has gone, and the new has come. So then we tell them, I expect you to be different. Like, not like, oh, I hope I'm different. No, no, no. If you're going to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I expect you to be different. So does he. Because if you don't, you didn't really understand what just happened. Right? And so we go in the water to be crucified with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Not old life, newness. Therefore, church, in order for us to get whole, we have to deal with the pain. It's real. Now let me tell you, in case you're nervous about forgiveness, and you're like, hey, I don't know about all this forgiveness stuff. I don't know if I trust forgiveness. I'm not even sure what forgiveness is. Right? Well, let me help you understand a couple things that maybe are some misconceptions or misunderstandings about forgiveness. Because I want you to embrace it, okay? We're gonna wrap up in a few minutes. I want you to embrace forgiveness. And I'm saying this to myself too. We all need a pep talk this morning from the word of God and on the reality of forgiveness because we need it, guys. Our world ain't gonna deliver it to you. It ain't coming outside the church. The church is the pillar and supporter of truth, period. Not the encyclopedia guy or Webster, whatever. He defines words, but not the truth. It is from the word of God. It is Jesus Christ, the source, okay? So let me tell you, I'm gonna rattle these through really quickly, okay? And sorry, I can send these out to you later, but I'm running out of time. Here we go. I'm gonna tell you where forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not minimize or deny your pain. Forgiveness does not condone the offense. Forgiveness does not mean that the offender deserves that forgiveness. Forgiveness does not necessitate forgetting. I haven't forgotten what that guy did to me in sixth grade. I can forgive him, but I haven't forgotten. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Because reconciliation, although it might be the byproduct of forgiveness, it takes two people. You can forgive, and they may not receive it. They may not forgive you in return. They may not ask for forgiveness. That's tough. 
Usually we want to engage in forgiveness if we know that both parties are willing to do it. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness does not forego boundaries. Meaning, you don't have to put yourself back in a situation where you're harmed again. Forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences. Consequences are real. They're a fact of life. What you sow is what you will reap. You can be forgiven, but it doesn't take away. If you do the crime, you're still going to prison. I'm glad you said you're sorry, but you're still serving the time. Consequences are real. Those are not removed. If they're removed, then God wouldn't be true. Right? There has to be judgment on our actions. Forgiveness does not mean that you do not report the crime or the abuse. Sometimes we can be deceived in thinking, well, if I forgive them, I just need to forget that all happened and not, no, no, no. Forgiveness, you're forgiving the person, but we are also called to live in a society where there's order and justice. Number nine, forgiveness does not necessitate trust, meaning you're not required to trust the person who has wronged you. It doesn't mean you can't restore that, but it's not a requirement. There are people that hurt us. There are people that we have hurt, that we have deceived, and there's consequences for that. Therefore, trust is earned. It's not a demand. The last one is this. Forgiveness is different than processing pain. Just because you forgave does not mean that the pain will go away instantly. But I would say forgiveness is the start of the road of healing. That's 10 clarifications maybe on forgiveness. There might be one of those that maybe has held you back. and saying, I don't wanna forgive because I think this is what I'm saying when I'm doing that. But I want you to know that forgiveness in the end, it's in your control. The ball's in your court. It's not in theirs, it's in yours. And you can either choose to hang on to the pain, to the bitterness, or you can let it go. I want to invite the band up this morning as we close. I want to invite you guys to stand as well. I have some of our prayer team come up here, some of our life leaders, if you could make your way up here to the front. But you know, there's two final passages I want to read to us. One is out of Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We cannot be these oak trees of righteousness if we allow our roots to be sickened with bitterness. But the thing about roots are, we can't see them. I cannot see your roots. They're underground, they're inside, they're hidden. 
There's only one that can really see them. The Spirit of God, he already knows what your roots look like. And God has chosen to send his spirit here on planet Earth to partner with him in this ministry of healing and forgiveness. And the Spirit of God is able to lead and guide us in all truth. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, game plan is to help us become more like God, to be holy as I am holy, to be whole. <laughs> that is his desire. So I just want to give us a moment here to say, Lord, whatever's in my roots, and specifically just had a sense this morning that there was an emphasis God's wanting to do on our roots in bitterness, that that's where the that maybe a lot of the unforgiveness is stemming from. And because if, you're, if your roots are off, if they're struggling, you know that affects the entire tree. It does. That's where it gets its nutrients. That's the sourcing. That's everything. So this morning, I just want to pray for us. And I want to invite you to come on up. Let one of these guys pray for you as well. This is a key moment. I mean, what you choose to do in the next few minutes is up to you, but I just want to invite you to say, at least start the road. At least get on the road and say, hey, can I just start with forgiving one person? And th th this morning, I want to be clear, we're emphasizing forgiving others, but forgiveness, it is not just meant to be given, but to be received as well. And so we need to ask for it as well. There are people in our lives that we need to go and ask forgiveness from. They may or may not extend it, but you did your part by asking for it and humbling yourself. The thing about God is though, God will give it. To that humble heart, I forgive you. <laughs> we know what his answer is going to be. Yes, I forgive you, of course. Now come to me. Follow me. Turn from that. Let me restore you. It's the forgiveness with humans is a little more tricky. <laughs> but I just want to advise this morning, just close your eyes just for a moment. I want us to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is there any root of bitterness in me that you need to deal with this morning? Maybe it's just a starting point this morning, probably. But at least, God, would you just Reveal right now, every one of us in the room, Lord, there's any bitterness, God, bring to mind. We need you to heal it. But we've got to acknowledge it's there. So Spirit of God, come this morning. Come and heal us. If we're leaking pain, plug those holes up with your healing power. If our roots feel weakened or dried up, or just scorned, <laughs> Lord, heal them. We need a touch from you, God. We need our hearts, our souls, our mind, our emotions. We need you. It's too hard and painful to try to do this on our own. We need the ultimate forgiver, the one who bore 
our sins, who extended forgiveness, who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, help us humble our hearts this morning so we can get on that pathway of wholeness, we pray.